Today we are starting a new series in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is a minor prophet in the Old Testament. It's three chapters, but it is packed full of mystery and truth. The theme for our series is going to be living by faith in a world of darkness. You see Habakkuk, he looks at the world around him and he sees pain. He sees misery. He sees injustice. And so he he turns to God for answers. And when God responds to him, he doesn't give him some cute little Christianese saying, nor does he hand him a, a coffee mug with just a nice little slogan on it. But what he does is he brings Habakkuk into the mystery of his sovereign rule. And by the end of the book, what we see is that Habakkuk responds in worship with humility and awe. And my prayer as we go through this book, is that we would respond like Habakkuk. As we behold our God, that we would worship him with humility and awe. That we would understand what it is to live by faith in a world of darkness, a world characterized by sin. But in order for this to happen, I really believe that that many of us, um, either intentionally or unintentionally, we, we, we kind of put God in a box. We try to put limitations around God. And, and what Habakkuk does is he brings us into the mystery of our God. He says, this God is like no other. And he just kind of crushes those boxes and those limitations that we put so that we would see that the God of the Bible is able to use whatever means possible for the accomplishment of his purposes. Now, before we dig into the book, let me give a little bit of background into, uh, into Israel and to the time frame here. So after the reign of King Solomon, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now the northern kingdom was always wicked, and it was taken into captivity by Assyria in 722 BC. Now the southern kingdom did a little bit better. It had good kings and bad kings. Now one of the worst kings it had was Manasseh. And in 2 uh, Chronicles 33, we read that Manasseh, he reigned for 55 years and he led Jerusalem and Judah, the southern kingdom, into doing more wickedness than all the other nations around them. He practiced child sacrifice. He put up pagan altars everywhere. Uh, but then at his death, He had a son named Josiah, and Josiah began a great reformation. He began to draw God's people back into the worshiping of the God of the Bible. Now, during this time, uh, Babylon and Assyria are warring for world domination. And so, Necho, the pharaoh of, of Egypt, he comes to help Assyria battle against Babylon. And Josiah says, well, I'm going to go stop this. So he goes and meets uh, Necho in, uh, on the battlefield. And unfortunately, Josiah dies. And with his death, so does the spiritual health of, of Judah die also. And so uh, Judah uh, returns back to its wickedness and to its idolatrous ways. And thus Babylon in 587, now the world power will come and destroy Jerusalem, bringing all of its people into captivity. And so Habakkuk, he reigns in between the reformation of Josiah and the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. So he's witnessed the reformation, and now he's living in this time where majority of God's people, majority of those who are known as Jews, of Israelites, have rejected God, are taking advantage of the poor. Um, justice is perverted. 
They're not worshiping God. And so Habakkuk now turns to God and says, God, what is happening? And he begins to question God. And so the outline of the book follows as Habakkuk questions God, God answers. Habakkuk then asks another question, God then responds again. And then in chapter 3, it ends with Habakkuk praising and praying to God. And so as we look at the text today, the main point, the one thing that I really want us to see is that our God works in a sovereign and mysterious way so His glory will fill all of creation. Our God works in a mysterious and sovereign way so His glory will fill all of creation. That's what I want us to see. And when I use the word mystery, I don't mean that we can't understand anything of God, but that we don't understand fully all that God is doing. And so let's turn now and read Habakkuk chapter 1. And many of you know uh, what we do is we stand at the reading of God's Word. So I invite you to go ahead and stand as I read chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Verse 5. Looking among the nations. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your ways that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their, their, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They, cap, they gather captives like sand. All kings at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Let me pray. Oh, Father, I pray that as we come into your word today, that we would behold you, that we would truly see that you are a God like no other. I pray that if we have any um, boxes or limitations or whatever that we have tried to limit you, that God, you will just destroy those. And I pray that we will see the glorious picture of who you are. May we be drawn into understanding that, God, you are one who works in a sovereign and mysterious way. And that all of your purposes are being accomplished and that you are moving us toward the glory, toward your glory, filling all of creation. Lord, give us wisdom today as we read your word. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, so we're going to begin with Habakkuk asks a question. And really the question is, God, where are you? If you look, verse 2, it says, How long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Habakkuk is wondering, God, where are you? Do, do you see what is happening? 
Habakkuk is crying out, look, there is a violence, there is injustice everywhere, God. He's asking, are you going to do something about it? Look at verse 3. Habakkuk says, why do you idly look at wrong? He's saying, God, you got to get up. You can't sit back and do nothing. Now, Habakkuk is not the first guy to talk like this in the Bible. In fact, if you go to Psalm 13, David, he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? In, in Psalm chapter 22, we read, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Hear this, real faith wrestles with God in the reality of the world we live in. Real faith wrestles with God. We're supposed to come to God with questions. He already knows what's in our heart. We don't have to act like we just accept everything and we have no questions. We're supposed to come to Him. I mean, do you, don't you ever wonder like, what God is doing in the midst of our world? Think about the church right now, just the state of the church in the world. More Christians have been persecuted in this last century than all other centuries combined. Here in America, we have many uh, so-called churches that neglect or outright deny certain teachings in God's Word. Many use the Bible as a means of taking advantage of people so that they would gain a profit. That's known as the prosperity gospel. We see churches all the time, they're neglecting church discipline and thus sexual immorality and so many other sins are just running rampant within the church. The church is full of people who, who label themselves as Christians and yet with their lives, they deny God in just about every single thing that they do. Where is God in all this? Why doesn't he come and purify his church? Why does he let this happen? Or, or think about the world. Locusts have decimated Western Africa right now. COVID-19 has placed the world in a global quarantine, something unprecedented. Where is God? Does he see this? Does he know what's happening? Is he, is he at all working in this? And then what if we just look at other things that are taking place? Like what about sex trafficking? What about all the public shootings that have taken place? What about racism? What about poverty and hunger that's taking place all over the world? Do you, do you see this, God? Are you doing something about it? I mean, do you, ever, do you ever ask those questions? Do you ever wonder what God is doing? Let me ask, what are you going through right now? Have you wondered, God, where are you at in the midst of this? The first thing we must realize is that to live by faith means that we come to God with our questions. We live by faith. We come to God with our questions. Unfortunately, so many people, they seem to jump ship when their faith hits those stormy waters. They say things like, I could never believe in a God if he's going to act this way. If he's going to allow this to happen, I don't want to believe in a God like that. They're like the, the seed that lands on the rocky soil. If you remember the parable of the sower, he throws the, the seed on the rocky soil. It springs up quickly, but when the hot sun comes and presses upon it, it quickly withers away. And those who, who say, yes, I believe in God, but then all of a sudden a difficult trial comes their way and say, oh, I can't believe in this God. What Habakkuk does is he teaches us. No, no, we persevere at these times. Real faith 
perseveres and wrestles with God, comes to God with our questions that we would understand who he is and what he is doing in this world. And so let's look at God's answer. God basically says, look, I'm doing a work so great you wouldn't even believe if I told you. Look at verse 5. God gives four commands. He says, look, see, wonder, and be astounded. God is saying, I'm doing something marvelous, something incredible. Uh, have you ever given someone a gift? And when you give it to them, you say, guess. Don't open it, don't open it first. You've got to guess and see what it is. And then you say, but you'll never guess correctly. I kind of think that's what God did here. He says, look, see, you'll be astounded. You'll never guess what I am doing. And, and he's right. Habakkuk couldn't guess it. I mean, God says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, which are the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them to come and destroy the southern kingdom. And look at how he describes this kingdom. Look at verse 6. This is a bitter and hasty people. They take other people's houses. Look at verse 7. They're dreaded and fierce. Verse 8. They're fast like horses. They're quicker than leopards, and they're more fierce than wolves. Look at verse 9. They're violent. They take everyone captive. Verse 10, they laugh at kings. They destroy every kingdom. They have no fear of, of, of anything. Verse 11, there are godless people who worship their might, who worship their power. This is not a godly people. This is not a people who worship God. This is a people who reject God, reject everything. They worship themselves. And it's these people that God says, I'm going to use to accomplish my purposes. My purposes right now is that they would come, destroy Judah, and bring them in to exile. And so Habakkuk, we're going to see next week, he's going to, he, he's more perplexed than ever. He's going to say, God, how can you, a holy and everlasting pure God, use evil to accomplish your purposes? And so that's where we're going to be going next week. But what we need to understand is that we kind of walk around like with a telephoto lens just attached to our face. We're just kind of zoomed in on a certain area of life. We see basically our immediate context and the things that surround us. And we then try to make judgments <clears throat> and we try to determine what is right and wrong based upon all the things that we see. And yet when we come into God's word, we see time and time again how God shows us over history that he's in control of all events and that he uses things, often evil things, for the accomplishment of his purposes. He's continually saying to us, while you don't see everything, I do see everything. You see, faith is trusting in God's goodness in the midst of of his sovereign and mysterious rule. It's when we don't understand all that is happening, we come and we trust in what we do know of God, his goodness and his character. And so today, what I want to do is I just want to show three truths about who God is and what we see in this passage about our God, the God who is a God like no other. And this is kind of setting the foundation for as we go into the rest of the book. And so the first thing we see is that God works in mysterious ways. The world says it, it doesn't like a God that it cannot explain. People will say, I, I can't believe in a God who is jealous. That's what Oprah Winfrey said. People will say, I can't believe in a God who allows suffering. He surely can't be good if he would do that. Therefore, I don't want to believe him. You see, in our sinfulness, we don't like mystery. 
And, and again, mystery, what I mean is that which we cannot fully understand. Uh, mystery makes us feel weak. Uh, it makes us uncomfortable. And so in Romans 1, we see that we reject the God of the Bible. We reject God as creator and ruler. And what do we do? We decide we will worship creation. We'll worship things that we can touch, things that we can hold, things that we can examine, things that we can fully wrap our heads around. We want to worship that which makes us comfortable. We want to worship that which has no mystery to it at all. But think about it. If God is self-existent, meaning he requires nothing outside of himself. He's all-powerful, all-known, and is fully present at everywhere, at all times, in all the universe, and is perfect in every way without any limitation, then should we really think that we're going to understand all of his ways? Um, I came across uh, an illustration from Augustine. It was said that Augustine, one day, he's wrestling with who God is. And he comes across a boy who is scooping water out of the sea with a seashell. And so Augustine says, what are you doing? To which the boy replies, I'm emptying the sea. Now, as, as foolish as that sounds, how much more foolish is it for us to think that our minds can empty the very recesses of our God in all of his ways? This is why Paul Paul, at the end of Romans 11, he's been walking through the doctrine of God's salvation for 11 chapters. And he is so full of just amazement and awe and wonder that he just bursts out into praise. And this is what he says at the end of Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unbearable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid? While the world believes, it's illogical to, to believe in a God that does not fit into their neat man-made categories. In reality, it is they who are illogical. For it is illogical to think that the finite can fully behold the infinite. And I just want you to think, when we come into God's word, every single doctrine that we engage in, that we study, contains mystery. Just think about it. Uh, the Trinity. At, at, at the very beginning of Christianity, just studying who our God is, we read that our God is one God and yet three persons. From the very beginning, understanding the God of the Bible, we're entering into the waters of mystery. Think about the incarnation of Jesus. I mean, how do we wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus is eternally immutable? I mean, he's lived forever and he's unchanging, and yet he took upon himself flesh so that for all future eternity, he would be both God and man. Think about prayer. I mean, prayer, what we understand of God is that from past eternity, he has sovereignly purposed all things for the accomplishment of, his of, of, the, of the fulfillment of his purposes. And yet he uses your and my prayers as the means to accomplish his purposes. How does that work? Herman Bavnik said, mystery is the lifeblood of theology. When we come into God, when we come into to, to God's word, we're entering into mystery. We're wading into deep waters. There are things that we will understand, but we will never understand them fully. 
And so again, next week, we're going to see how Habakkuk, he's received this answer from God, and yet it's torn him up on side. He's going, I don't know how to respond to this. So he wrestles more with his faith, and he's going to ask God another question. But another truth we see from our passage is that God rules supreme over all of creation. I mean, notice, how is it that Babylon is going to come and destroy Judah? If you look at verse 6, God doesn't leave us to wonder that. He says, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. So how is it the Chaldeans are going to come and destroy Babylon? Is it because of their might? Is it because of their power? Is it because King Nebuchadnezzar has this great strategy? No. It's ultimately because of the sovereign rule and purposes of God. And we see this truth all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. In Isaiah 45.1, we read that God is actually going to call Cyrus, the king of Persia, to come and destroy Babylon. And that happens in 539 B.C. In Isaiah chapter 10, we read, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, the staff in their hands is my fury. See, God uses Assyria as the means to, uh, to overcome Israel, the northern kingdom, and to take them into exile in 722 B.C. It wasn't because of Assyria's might. It was ultimately because of God's purposes. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, this is what Daniel says. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. The God of the Bible is the one who establishes all rules and all authorities in this world. And in fact, in Acts chapter 2, Peter gives this amazing sermon. And notice what he talks about, why Jesus is crucified. He says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Notice that. Jesus came and he came to die on a cross by the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And yet, Peter says, you guys are the ones who crucified him. Both are true. It was, Jesus was crucified because God determined it and because man crucified him. And that takes place in the mystery of God's sovereign rule. But when we come into God's word, we don't just see that he rules over people and over nations. We see that he rules over every single aspect of creation. In Genesis 1, God speaks and we see creation comes into existence. Creation responds to God like a computer does to a programmer. The Exodus. If you go back to the Exodus, you see how God controls flies and locusts and hell and darkness and light. He parts the Red Sea. He made waters come from a rock when, when Israel was wandering through the wilderness. Uh, he made the sun stand still when Israel was being attacked. When Jesus enters in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, we see that he, he casts out demons. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. I mean, Jesus himself, he goes to the cross and three days later rises from the dead, conquering death. When we come into God's word, we see an infinitely powerful God who rules over every single aspect of creation. Now hear this. 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, this is great, amazing news. And if you're an unbeliever, this is horrifying news. Spurgeon said this. He said, There is nothing for which the children of God ought more earnestly to contend than the dominion of their master over all creation, the kingship of God over all the works of his own hands, the throne of God, and his right to sit upon the throne. On the other hand, there is no doctrine more hated by worldlings. Men will allow God to be everywhere, but except on his throne. When God says to Babylon, when God says the Babylonians will come, and they're going to conquer Judah, and they're going to destroy the temple and bring all of Judah into captivity, Habakkuk can know for certainty this destruction is coming. But at the same time, he can know that Babylon will not be able to take one step further than what God allows. Now think about how applicable this is for us today in understanding the sovereign rule of God. What this means is there is, there is nothing random and there's no chaos that takes place in this world. In a mysterious and sovereign way, God rules and guides all of history. This means that COVID-19 has not caught God off guard. He's not trying to figure out, man, how do I manipulate the circumstances right now? My wife and I, um, we're watching MacGyver right now, the new MacGyver series. I don't know why. Maybe it's a quarantine thing. Uh, but we've been watching through it. And MacGyver, all the time, he finds himself in some type of perilous predicament. And he's got to, with his Swiss Army knife and duct tape and a few things, he's got to figure out how to manipulate the situation so that he and whoever else are going to survive. He's continually responding to the situations around him. But when we come to God's word, we don't have a God who's responding, who's reacting to the world as if he didn't know what was happening. What we have is a God who rules and who guides all of events. Now, the truth that God rules over all creation means whatever you're experiencing in life right now is not chaotic, is not uh, just the result of randomness taking place. Your life uh, the things that are taking place is because our God rules and is sovereign. Now, that, that's probably going to raise a lot of questions because it, it's going to feel pretty chaotic at times. And we're going to have questions like, wait a minute, God is in control and sovereign. So he's bringing these things into my life. Why would he do that? And we're going to see more of that next week. But what we understand is that God, he uses all things for the accomplishment of his purposes. You see, our God is not limited to just certain means that you and I deem are acceptable. But our God is so mighty, so powerful, so wonderful and so glorious, he can use all things, whether they're good or evil, for the accomplishment of his purposes. And so what is God's purposes? So God's ultimate purpose is that his glory will fill all of creation. If you just turn to your Bibles, like one page to the right, and you come to uh, chapter 2, verse 14 in Habakkuk, we read about the grand purpose of God. He says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Hear this. God's grand purpose in all of creation is that his glory will fill everything. He created you and I out of his infinite love and of his infinite joy that you and I would know him, would love him, would worship him, would enjoy him, would be fully satisfied in him. 
In fact, in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, we see kind of the end picture of all of creation. We read that because Jesus has gone to the cross, that it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the, the name that is above every knee, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and, uh, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the purpose of creation. This is why you and I were made. It was so that we would know God, would love Him, would worship Him. This is what God is working all of history towards. In fact, when we get to Revelation, like 21 and 22, we see that when Jesus returns, He's going to make all things new. He's going to make this creation new, and there will be no sin in it at all. And all those who have believed in Jesus will be gathered into His presence for all of eternity that we would be with him face to face in his presence, enjoying him, fully satisfied. So what this means is that when Babylon defeats Judah, that did not thwart the plans of God, but it advanced them. When Jesus died on the cross, that didn't thwart the plans of God, but advanced them. COVID-19 has not thwarted the plans of God, but it's advanced them. Whatever is going on in your life, however great and good or however difficult and painful, you can rest in the fact that it is not thwarting God's plans, but it's advancing them so that one day you and I and all who believe in Jesus would dwell with him, secure, enjoying him, experiencing his grace and his mercy. Again, this raises questions. It makes us wonder, but how, but why? How is it that God does this? We're going to look at that more in the weeks to come. But right now, I just want to, how do we respond to the fact that we worship a God like no other? We worship a God who rules all things in a sovereign and mysterious way so that his glory will one day fill the earth. How do we respond to that, especially when we're surrounded by COVID-19, when we're surrounded by other trials and painful things that come into our life? What do we do? Let me just give three things. Number one, we rest in the character of our God. Um, my, my daughter this last week, she came up to me and she said, Daddy, don't go to work today. And I said, well, honey, I have to go to work. And she said, no, you don't. And I said, yes, I do. And she says, no, just stay with me. And so I said, well, no, I, I got to go, but I'll come back later and we'll play later. Now, why is it my daughter is okay with that? Why is it that she's okay when she doesn't understand all why I have to go to work and other things that must take place? Why is she okay with that which she does not know? It's because she trusts in my character. She knows I love her. She knows I'm kind and I want good things for her. I don't want her to be in pain. I don't want her to hurt. And ultimately, I want only that which is good for her. So she trusts in all that she knows of me. She trusts in my character. And when she's faced with the unknown, she goes, okay. I'll trust my daddy. How much more we do that with our God? You see, God has graciously given us his word that we would know him, that we would see his goodness and his mercy and his kindness, that we would see that he is holy and pure, that he is glorious far more than we can ever imagine. And he gives us his word as this treasure chest so that as you and I, that we read it, we would behold him. We would see him. We would know his character. So that when we're faced with mystery, 
We would go, but I know my God is good because I've seen how through thousands of years of history and in the word of God, he's displayed his goodness and his faithfulness and his righteousness. So the first thing we do is we rest in his character. I just want to say we do that primarily by knowing his word. Look, if you're a Christian, we need to know the word of God. We need to be people of the word, hungering and thirsting for the word of God, that it would satisfy our souls so that as we work our way in this world, as we face trials and persecutions and pains and global quarantines and whatever else comes our way, that we would rest in the character of our God. Number two, we remember his grace. In chapter three, what we're going to see is that Habakkuk rests in the grace of God. He's going to look back at the exodus of how God brought Israel out of Egypt and the mighty works that he did. And that's going to move Habakkuk to praise and to worship. And that's going to give him the ability to, to trust in God as he goes, okay, wait, I remember God's past actions, his past goodness, his past grace. He reflects on how God has worked in the past. And that gives him comfort in the present. And so you and I, we don't just look back all the way to the Exodus. We actually look to what the Exodus was pointing to. We look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Because at the cross of Jesus, we see that God sent his son Jesus to die so that we who believe in him would be saved and forgiven. The cross is God's declaration that, that he loves us, that we're his children, that he's made us citizens of his kingdom, that he promises to always work good for us, that what we read in Romans 8, 28, that all things work good for those who love God. We turn back to, to the cross so that we'd be comforted by God's past grace, knowing that he's in control of all things, knowing that no matter what happens in this world, we are held secure in his love. And then as we look back at his past grace, we're encouraged to look forward to his future grace. That's the last thing. We look towards his future grace. You see, Romans 8.32, man, one of the most powerful verses and powerful promises we have in the Bible. You should know Romans 8, 32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? What it's saying is that if God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us, how much more is he going to give us grace and mercy, and love, now that we're his children. If he loved us through the death of his son Jesus, that we'd become his children, now that we are his children, how much more will he continue to lavish his love, lavish his grace upon us? And so that's what Habakkuk is going to do as he looks back and he sees the past actions of God at the Exodus. He's going to remember Oh, our God loves us and he will redeem us again. He will bring us out of this Babylonian rule. And as we look in this world and we look um, at just the painful things that we encounter at times, whether it's a quarantine, whether it's personal health, whether it's difficult relationships, whether it's the death of a loved one, whether it's just the disease, uh, a, a painful disease that we're working our way through, we can know our God has given us grace. He's going to give us grace right now in the present to persevere in whatever it is we're going through. And we look forward to the day 
that when Jesus returns, he will make all things new and we will never again be plagued by any form of darkness, but we will dwell in the perfect holy light of God. Hear this. We're not always going to fully understand what God is doing, but we can know that he's giving us grace right now so we can endure and we can persevere. The cross declares that. The Bible testifies of his faithfulness. Look, our God works in a sovereign and mysterious way, so his glory one day will fill all creation. I hope you know that. Listen, don't settle for lesser gods. Don't settle for a God that you can make in your own image. Don't try to put God in a box so that he must act in a certain way. Let's come to God's word that we would see that this God is a God like no other, glorious and mighty and majestic in every way, who has sent his son Jesus that we would know him and love him and rest with him for all of eternity. I encourage you, if you've not believed in Jesus, know Jesus today. Believe in him. Bible says that for all those who do not believe in Jesus, there's a day coming when we will experience the fullness of his wrath. For all those who have rejected this God, this King, and said, you know what? I, I think I will settle for a lesser God. I'll settle for worshiping creation. I'll settle for the things I can wrap my mind around. God's saying, if you reject me, there is a wrath that is coming. And so I encourage you, if you have questions about God, come into his word. Seek God. In fact, if you're a Christian, you have questions about God. Come, just like Habakkuk does. Turn to God. We do that through his word. And we're going to receive answers. Answers about God's goodness and faithfulness and mercy. And we're going to see the beauty of our God at the cross of Jesus Christ. And yes, there will be mystery. And praise God, there is mystery. For if we could fully wrap our heads around this God... He would not be a God worthy of worship. And so I encourage you to join us as we continue to make our way through the book of Habakkuk. It's going to be an amazing book where we learn what it is to live by faith in a world of darkness. So I encourage you, join us as we do that. Uh, I'm going to pray and we'll continue to worship God. Our Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Lord, I thank you for a book like Habakkuk, like in this first chapter where we come face to face with you and everything we think that you would do, just God, you do something different. And yet what we understand as we look back and we see the storyline of your Bible, you do something so much greater, so much more majestic, so much uh, mightier than what we could ever imagine. And I pray that for every Christian who's, who's watching this, who's reading your word, that would be drawn into the mystery of your sovereign rule. That our hearts would grow as we see that you are far glo more glorious than we could ever imagine. I pray that we'd be drawn into your grace at the cross of Jesus, where you declare your goodness and your might and your faithfulness and your love and your mercy. Lord, may we see that. May we be drawn to worship you. May we lay down our lives before you each and every day, acknowledging that there is no God like you. You alone are worthy of all worship, and that is why you alone will have your glory fill all of this creation. So I pray that we would know that. And Lord, if there's someone watching this that doesn't know you, I pray bring them to repentance today. May they be drawn into your word that they would know you. 
that they would see that you are a holy and beautiful God, worthy of all worship. May they worship you through Jesus Christ. In your name, amen.